Well, let's pray together. God, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for the fact that we are a family, a body of believers, and that you've given us this family to live life together. We thank you for our immediate families as well. Some of us are married. Some of us have kids. Lord, we all have parents. Father, we, we thank you for those families. Father, I pray you be with us in our series ahead, Father, as we, as we look at that. Father, as we look at developing our own hearts, our, our own family of believers, as well as our, our, our immediate families as well. Work in us, Lord. We ask for transformed lives, transformed families in mighty ways. We thank you for speaking to us in your word as well. Pray that you speak to us now. Pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, Father. And Lord, I pray that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear today. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ Church. Uh, we are, it is great to be in our new series. It's called We Are Family, Harmony in the Heart, Home, and House of God. And as Pastor Jamie just said, uh, you're in a family whether you like it or not. Uh, and I'll say that again. You're in a family whether you like it or not. Uh, you're in a church family. I was uh, driving the other day, and uh, I was uh, driving down the road, and some guy cut me off. Uh, and I don't think he saw me. Uh, he pulled right in front of me. It was one of those times I had to like slam on the brakes and kind of, you know, kind of slide to a stop. And he kept going. I was so frustrated. Then I saw his license plate. It said Evangelical Pastor. And I thought, ah, oh. <laughs> that's it. It's part of my family. Can't be too angry. Then that fleeting thought went through my head. You know, if I intentionally accidentally cut him off, there's nothing on my license plate that says Pastor. He'll never know. But my kids were in the car, and I figured they would just tell on me, so I decided not to do that. But we're a family, whether we like it or not. We all have a family. We have a family of believers right here. We have a family, a church family. Like it or not, we have a church family that meets at 10 o'clock over in the sanctuary. We have another family that meets at, here at 845. It's a big family. It's a powerful family. And we're going to be looking at uh, this series, We Are Family. You know, throughout this series, one of the things that we're going to realize is that how you relate to the people in this family and how you relate to your own immediate family is the same. The attitudes and behaviors that you have in relation to other believers is the same as the attitude that you would have with with people in your own immediate family. So I'm really excited about this series because, you know, we have been talking, Pastor Jamie and I have been talking about this series for for months, if not a year, so we're going to do a family Series And one of the things that we could have done is just kind of picked and choose throughout Scripture different aspects of, of Scripture that talk specifically about marriages or parenting or children or singleness and, or, or issues like that, all about the family. But one of the things that we know is that you can never have a good family. with your, You can never have a good relationship with your own immediate family. You can never have good marriages. You can never have a good relationship with your children or your parents if you first don't have a peace in your own life. Let me say that again. You can never have good families, whether immediate families, you can, your marriages, your children, working with your parents, if you don't have peace in your own life. That's why we've called it Harmony in the Heart, Home, and house of God. We aren't just going to pick through different scriptures throughout the Bible. We're going to go systematically through Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. Because when you look at Ephesians 6, they do talk about parenting. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about marriages uh, later on in our series. We are going to be talking about, uh, about uh, children and parents. So we're going to be talking about that. But we can't talk about that until we first fix our own life, our own heart. 
You know, I love talking about relationships. It's one of the things that I love doing. In fact, when I got out of college and went back to school, I was planning to go into marriage and family therapy. Marriage and family therapy because I really wanted to work with marriages. And while those um, marriage and family therapists, uh, licensed professional counselors are all important because, hey, we live in a society that's broken. And marriages, a lot of marriages, unfortunately, need fixed and they need intervention. One of the things that I realized is that I would rather be on the proactive end than the reactive end. I would rather, what I realize is that, you know, if people just started living the way God asks us to live in Scripture with certain attitudes and behaviors, then our marriages would naturally be better. Our relationships with our children would naturally be better. Our relationships with our parents would naturally be better. If we just started doing and acting the way God asks us to live. That's why it's striking to me that there's so actually few scriptures on marriage and and children and parenting. Why? Because the Bible is focused on attitudes and behaviors. It's all about the heart. So that's where we have to start. It's all about the heart. We could never have Harmony in our own homes if we don't first have harmony in our own life. If we don't have peace in our own life. And what is that peace? The peace is knowing that, listen, we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ. And he, we understand He died for us. We have a relationship with Him. And we grow spiritually. And one of the things that we're doing uh, here at the church is we're trying to provide opportunities for growth spiritually. You see, we could, I think it would be very difficult to try to grow spiritually on our own. In the, in the culture and way we live. That's why, that's why we have a church. That's why Christ set up the church. So we could have that, that growth spiritually. So we can have a peace in our own life that transforms into the peace around us. That's why we have that. That's why we push here at the church for people to get in small groups. We're going to do that again throughout the summer and the fall, especially. Get into small groups. That's why we talk about membership class, being part of a church family, so that you can be part of that, so you can grow spiritually. That's why we have tons of Bible studies throughout uh, the week here at Christ Church. This church is used every single day of the week. I don't know if you know that. Some people think that just Sunday and we close the door after that. It is not. There's something going on here every day of the week. That's why we push things like man up. Guys, we want you to get out there. Why? Because we understand it's a body of believers that we grow spiritually. And we grow spiritually. We have to have unity. Now, I, I preface this by saying, people say, hey, we need to have harmony in the heart, home, and house of God. People say, well, we're going to look at unity. And you'll think, okay, well, we're just talking about having peace with everybody around us. That no matter what religious background you have and what, what, what uh, uh, belief system you have, it's okay. We're going to have peace. We're going to have unity among us. Peace. Let's coexist all together. No, you know what? We have unity in Christ. That's for sure. Because of what he's done for us. That's where the unity comes. And like it or not, we all have family. And we've got to keep the unity. And that's where we start. Unity in Christ. And that's where our passage comes from today. You see in verse 3 of your Bible, it says, Make every effort, Paul says, to keep the unity through the spirit, through the bond of peace. Last week we talked about passing the peace. Why do we pass the peace? We don't do that here in this service. We do it in the sanctuary. Why do we pass the peace? Because before Christ died, there was no peace between God and man. When Christ died, he, he, there was peace now. Now peace, I'm with you. Peace be with you. That's why when we extend our hand and pass the peace, if you're ever over in the sanctuary, we're going to pass the peace. Our hand extension is Christ's extension of his death for us. So that's how we pass the peace. So Paul says right here, keep every effort to keep the unity through the bond of peace. So we have to have unity. 
You know, I find it interesting, as we've been with us, you, we've just gone through the series, 24 Hours That Changed the World. And we looked at all the aspects of Christ's life and all the things that we can learn uh, through the last 24 hours of his life. And I find it fascinating that one of the prayers that he prayed in the last moments of his life was for unity. Was for unity. John 17 says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be also in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Christ prays for our unity. He didn't pray for our happiness or our success. What does he do? He prays for our unity. He prays for our unity. So if we want to have unity, if we want to have harmony in the house of God, if we want to have it, the question is, is why? Why would we strive for that? Because if you don't know the why, then the how is pointless. If we're not striving, if we don't understand the why we need to have unity as a body of believers, then the how will be absolutely pointless. So why do we need to have unity? Why do we need to strive for unity? First off, because we understand it's because of what Christ has already done for us. That's why we strive for unity. You know, when we look at Ephesians, we're going to look, like I said, we're going to go Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, so the next, like number 8 for about 8 weeks. But you have to understand, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, Paul's talking about what Christ did, salvation and grace. Now we respond to that. The last number of weeks, we looked at what Christ did on the cross, 24 hours that changed the world. Now we respond to that. Because obedience is always in response to what Christ has done for us already. So if we don't understand that, if we don't have a relationship with him, then we're not going to strive for unity anyway. So Paul says in verse 1, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. He says in verse 1, as a prisoner of the Lord. Now people will go, oh, see, that's exactly why I don't want to become a Christian. Because Paul says he's a prisoner. It's like he's trapped. <laughs> it's not what Paul means. It's a divine imprisonment. What happens in prison? You go where you're told to go. You, you go, to, go in your cell when you're told to go in your cell. You eat when you're told to eat. Everything is done for you. You, don't have any, you really don't have any freedoms in that sense. You are doing what somebody else is telling you to do. Paul's saying the same thing. Listen, everything I do, everything I say, everything I think, all the plans I have, everything is done through Christ. I have to. He has to. We have to. Why? Because Paul understood that more than anybody, didn't he? He was the one out there killing people. And then he had this conversion in Damascus, and, and his life was totally transformed. If our lives are totally transformed, it should reflect that. So everything he did and said was all through Christ. Then he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Isn't that powerful? Live a life worthy. My question is, are you living a life worthy of the call that you've received? Are you living, would people look at you and go, yeah, they're following Christ. You could tell that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would people be able to tell that about you? We have a calling. That's why Philippians 3.14 says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Our time here is temporary. Christ died for us, and so we respond accordingly to live the way he's asked us to live. But you see, the thing is, is that I think, is that it, you know, most people know what Christ did for us. And a lot of people in our church would know, you know what, Christ died for me. The problem is, is that our response doesn't match up with what he did. Some, somebody once said, we have a million-dollar salvation and a five-cent response. A million-dollar salvation and a five-cent response. We have to have unity as a body of believers. We need to strive for that. 
Christ said that we need to have unity. Paul's saying here, strive for unity. We need to be unified in Christ. You know, I read a story once that I thought was perfectly fitting for the church as a whole. Because in the church, there's a lot of attitudes and behaviors that are kind of contrary. Like, I like this style of worship. I want to do this. It's about me, about why I'm here. It's not really about anybody else. And I read a story once uh, about the church. I thought it was perfectly fitting for the church as a whole, but specifically for Christ Church at Grove Farm, as we talk about uh, unity in the body of Christ. And I want you to listen to this. It's a little long, but listen to this, because I think it's fascinating for our own church. It's called Rocking the Boat. And the author writes, God has enlisted us in a unified navy and places on the ship. The boat has one purpose, to carry us safely to the other shore. It's not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. We're called to a life of leisure, we're called to a life of service. Each one has a different task. Some are occupied with those drowning, snatching people from the, from the water. Others are occupied with the enemy, so they man the canons of worship and prayer. Still others devote themselves to the crew, feeding and training the crew members. Though different, we're all the same. Each one can tell of a personal encounter with the captain, for each has received a call. There's one captain. There's one destination. The battle is fierce, but the boat is safe, for God is the captain. The ship will not sink. For that, there is no concern. Then the author writes, but there is concern, however, regarding the disharmony of the crew. When we first boarded, we assumed the crew was made up of others like us. But as we wandered the decks, we encountered curious converts with curious appearances and curious outfits. Some wear uniforms we have never seen, sporting styles we've never witnessed. Why do, why do you look the way you do? We asked them. Funny, they replied. We were about to ask you the same thing. <laughs> the variety of dress is not nearly as disturbing as the plethora of opinions. There's a group, for example who cluster every morning for serious study. They promote rigid discipline and somber expressions, serving the captain in serious business. It's no coincidence that they tend to congregate near the stern. Then there are those who are deeply devoted to prayer. Prayer is everything. Not only do they believe in prayer, but they believe in prayer by kneeling. For that reason, you always know where to locate them. They're at the bow of the ship. Then there are a few who staunchly believe that red wine and red wine only should be used in the Lord's Supper. You'll find them at the port side. Still, there's others at the engine. They spend hours studying the nuts and bolts. They've been known to go below deck and never come up for days. And they're criticized by those on the top who linger at the top deck, feeling the wind in the hair and the sun in their face. They say, it's not what you learn. It's how you feel that really matters. Oh, how we tend to cluster. Some think that once you're on the boat, you can't get off. Others say you'd be foolish to go overboard. But the choice is yours. Others believe you volunteer for service. Others believe that you're predestined for the service before the ship was even built. Some predict a huge storm of tribulation will come before we arrive home. Others say it won't hit until we're at the dock safely ashore. There are those who think that the officers should wear robes. There are those who think that there should be no officers at all. And there are those who think that we're all officers, so we all should wear our robes. Oh, how we tend to cluster. And then there's the issue of the weekly meeting at which the captain is thanked and his words are read. All agree on its importance, but few agree on its nature. Someone at loud, others quiet, somewhat ritual, others spontaneity. Someone to celebrate so they can meditate, others meditate so they can celebrate. Someone a meeting for those who have gone overboard, others want to reach those overboard without going overboard, but neglecting those on board. Oh, how we tend to cluster. The consequence is a rocky boat. 
There's trouble on deck. Fights have broken out. Sailors refuse to speak to other sailors. There have even been times when one group refuses to acknowledge the presence of others on the ship. Most tragically, some would drift at sea and have chosen not to board the ship because of the quarreling of the sailors. Isn't that a fascinating illustration of the church? Isn't that a fascinating illustration of our own church? That we have opinions about how things should be done or what should, should be done. And we end up quarreling. And people come into the church and go, I don't want to be part of that. There's no way I want to be part of that. That's why Christ said, they will know that we are followers of me if what? You love one another. So the question is, what do we do about that? What do we do about that? There's disharmony on the ship. Who do we go to? The captain. That's why Jesus said, Father, I pray that, that they can be one. As you and me and I and you, I pray that they can also be one. Christ prayed on his last prayer that for unity as a body of believers. Why? Because he understood that there's going to be people either going to be part of this or not, depending on how we respond to each other. Don't miss this point. Unity is important to Christ. Unity should therefore be important to us. Disunity fosters disbelief. Unity fosters belief. There was a study by uh, Paul Bilharmer says, the continuous and widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of all ages. It's been Satan's master strategy. The sin of disunity probably has caused more souls to be lost than all other sins combined. Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So how do we do that? How do we strive for unity as a body of believers? It lists them right there. Right there in the scriptures. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. By development of the four virtues. How do we strive for unity? By development of four virtues. The first one's humility. Humility. Ephesians 2 says, Who, being in very nature... God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death to a cross. Christ was humble, wasn't he? So humble that it wasn't about what he wanted to do or things that he wanted. He was humble. My question is, how are you with humility? When it comes to unity with other believers, unity with people in our church, unity in Christ, how are you doing with humility? Are you putting yourself first, your preferences, what you think should happen, or others first? There was a story I heard of uh, some Moravian Christians who were missionaries to the West Indian Slave Company. And this was obviously many years ago. But what they found was they couldn't even go to the slaves uh, and minister to them talking about the love of Jesus Christ because the upper class said, we're too good for them, you're not even allowed to talk to them. So these uh, Moravian Christians, what they did was they volunteered for slavery. They said, if the only way we could talk to them is if we become slaves ourselves, then we volunteer. And they became slaves for years. But fascinating that many of those slaves came to know the love of Jesus Christ. They had humility. They put others first. What would our families look like if we were uh, humble? What would our church family look like if we had humility? What would our marriages look like if we had humility? You know, I think humility is the number one thing in marriages. If I ever wrote a book, I would call it The Relationship Fix. It would have one chapter, one sentence. 
It would say, stop being so selfish, the end. And then on the back would say, I'd like to thank my... <laughs> uh, the end would be, uh, I'd like to thank my wife, Deb, who taught me this one virtue. It would be a special thanks to her. Why? In marriages, humility is the key. Humility is the key. If you want to have a good marriage, you've got to have humility. You've got to get rid of self-centeredness. If we want unity in the body of Christ, you've got to have humility. You've got to have humility. I find it fascinating that the first, the first sin was that of a lack of humility. It was a lack of humility. People think that you know Cain Mary, uh, murdered Abel. That was obviously in Genesis, and they think murder was the first sin. That was not the first sin. Cain brought a an offering to God. He thought his was way better because of what he'd done. It was all about him. And God's, God overlooked that one and said, no, Abel's is better. And then Cain got mad at Abel and murdered him. Humility was the first sin. Humility destroys marriages. It destroys relationships. It destroys the church. Humility is the key. Without humility, you couldn't have the second one, gentleness. Gentleness. Gentleness is power under control. Gentleness is important in the church family. We've got to be gentle. Gentleness is very important with your own marriages, isn't it? Many children and spouses have been hurt so bad, crushed by demeaning language and violence. People look at you, would they say, you're a gentle person? Would your spouse look at you and say, you're a gentle person? He's a gentle person. She's a gentle person. Would your children say that about you? Are you gentle? Gentleness is important in relationships, important in, in the body of Christ, but it's also important as we go out and minister to other people too, isn't it? 1 Peter 3, 15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always prepared to give an answer to, the, to everyone who asks to give you the reason for the hope you have. We've got to be gentle with them. You know, there's people always... You see these people on the street corners with, you know, huge signs up that says, you know, believe in God, you're going to go to hell. And they're yelling and screaming at people. And people will drive by and say, well, at least they're proclaiming Christ. And I say, well, yeah, but they're not doing it in the way Christ would ask them to do. It's not in a gentle way. Christ was gentle. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Why can we go to Christ? Because, because he's gentle and humble. So the question is, are you gentle? Well, people say that you're a gentle person. An outgrowth of humility and gentleness is patience. If you want to be humility, if you want to have humility, if you want to be gentle, you've got to have patience. You've got to have patience. James 5 says, Brothers and sisters, an example of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. This is Jeremiah they're talking about. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. God said, go and proclaim. Go and, and speak the good news. Go and tell them about me. And, but he also told Jeremiah, listen, you're going to go. People are going to hate you and you're going to be persecuted. But you've got to go. And Jeremiah said, well, I'm going to go anyway. I'm going to go. Even though people aren't going to respond to the message, I'm going to go. And he was hated and he was persecuted. Why? Because he was patient. He was patient. Are you patient with other believers? Are you patient with your own family? Would people look at you and say, man, that's a patient person. That's a patient person. And the ultimate outcome of humility and gentleness and patience is, is love. 
It's love. Got to love other people. Now, this is where churches get this is where churches get in trouble. Because some people say, some churches will go as far as to say, well, listen, we're going to love every single person in the world. We want them to come into our church. We want to have this body. And we're not going to condone, we're not going to say anything about the sin in their life. We're not going to condone the sin. Uh, We're not going to speak against the sin. We're going to just let them live the way they want to live. We're going to peacefully coexist. So let's just love everybody. Everybody, that's great. (laughs) Love doesn't mean that we... Don't rebuke sin or rebuke the way people live. We have to speak about that. We have to tell people, hey, listen, you're on the wrong path. As parents, we do that. We love our children, but the way that you're doing this, you're going to harm yourself. We do that. That's what parenting is all about. You love your children, but you also encourage them. You don't, when they mess up, you don't go, well, get out of here. That's where other churches go the other direction. They say, you know what? That person doesn't look like us, doesn't act like us. They are living a life the way they want to live, so they're not even allowed in these doors. It's got to be a balance. That's why we say here, listen, we love you. We, we do love you. We love you. We don't like the sin that you're in, but we love you. That's what love is. And so when people look differently than us, act differently, the question is, is, is that really a sin? Or is that just our own preferences? If it really is something contrary to God's word, yes, let's speak on it. Let's rebuke that. But let's also encourage people to come in. Why? Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors as yourselves. We will never love the people around us if we don't first love Christ. And that's the heart of this whole series. That's why we find harmony in the heart, home, and the house of God. We could never have harmony in our, in our marriages, in our homes, or in our church if we first don't have harmony in our own life. If we first don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, understand what he did for us. It'll never happen. That's why we have to start here. That's why when we talk about family series, yep, we're going to talk about all those different aspects of family, but we first have to start in the heart. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've never asked Christ to come into your life. Maybe you've never made him Lord of your life. You never realized what he's done for you. I'm telling you right now, if you don't get that, if you don't ask him to come in, realize that he died for you, ask him to make him the Lord of your life, your marriage is never going to be good. The relationship with your children will never be good. The relationship with your parents will never be good. Your singleness, your desire to wait will never happen. You'll be so discontented. Why? Because you don't have the harmony in your own life. If you don't have harmony in your heart, you're never going to have it in the home. And you're never going to have it in the house of God. As we, as we close, I'm going to ask David to come up. We're going to sing our last song. But one thing I want to make note here as we talk about unity. Is that never in the scriptures are we told to create unity. I'm going to say that again. We are never told to create unity. We're only told to keep unity. Paul says, keep the unity. Jesus says, I pray that they will keep the unity. We're never told to create it. As we see in the scriptures, there's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know what that tells me? It tells me that unity is already there. We just mess it up. Is that we all, have, we all love Jesus Christ. He's already there. He's the one Lord. But we mess up the unity around us. Because we have preferences, because we have opinions, because we don't have humility, we don't have patience, we don't have gentleness, and we definitely don't have love. Unity doesn't need to be created. It simply needs to be protected. How do we do that? 
How do we make every effort to keep the unity? Does it mean we compromise our convictions? No. Does it mean we abandon the truths? No. It does mean we take a long look at the attitudes we carry. I'm excited for this series. I'm excited because we're not just going to give you tips and tricks of how to have a, a good relationship with the people around you or how to, how to be a good, better husband or a better, better wife or better children, better parenting skills. We're not just going to give you tics, tips and tricks. The Bible actually tells us the attitudes we have to carry. And we develop them. We develop harmony in our own heart. And we have harmony in the church. And I guarantee you, we're going to have harmony in our own homes as well. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. We thank you for what you teach us in your word. Father, we thank you for the fact that you call us to have unity with the believers around us, Father. And even though we might have different preferences and things about the church or styles of worship, how we hear the word proclaimed, the Bible studies, we have, I have different opinions and preferences. Father, thank you for the fact that those just are opinions, Lord. And we're all serving you. We all do it because of you. So help us be patient with those around us. Help us to be a body, a believers, a family. Keep that unity. Be with us as we go about throughout this series, Father. As we look at the relationships around us, Father, I do pray that you impress upon us these four virtues of humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Father, thank you for your teaching us in your word. I pray that as we leave this place, we aren't just hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.